And now, a reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come pro proclaiming the mystery of God to you in lofty, in lofty words or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my proclamation were not with plausible words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might rest not on human wisdom, but on the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do speak wisdom, though it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to perish. But we speak God's wisdom, secret and hidden, which God decreed before the ages of, uh, for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the human heart conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. The word of the Lord. Join me in a prayer. Times of worship like we are experiencing this morning are a true gift as a number of the families of this church help lead us in this time together. And through them we experience your presence. And we wake up to the life that you would have us live. Bless us now with the word you would have us hear and the ways in which you call us to respond. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> Do you ever get to the end of a day and realize that the entire day has gone by without you giving so much as a thought to God? You get to the end of the day and you realize that the whole thing has happened where you haven't been even so much as conscious of who God is, where God is, active in that day. Have you ever had that happen? You certainly have. I'm sure you have. I know I have. In fact, we can go many days sometimes without even a whisper of God. The reason I ask that is because that is, in fact, one of the central problems that suburban life or the emergence of the suburbs and really modern life have created. We have made it so easy to attain our most basic needs for most of us, certainly not all of us, but for most of us. Our most basic needs are right at our fingertips. We have a grocery store right down the street or a hardware store or a fast food restaurant. It's all within earshot. It's just right, it's right there. Such abundance. We live in such an abundant world, actually, that we drive past those places in search of Costco or Whole Foods because they're better. It's crazy. This is what suburban life has helped create, this world of such incredible abundance, this society, actually, we live in. Abundance can 
do a lot to us. It can, it can numb us to our need for God. Albert Sue, the book we've been using through this series on the suburbs, puts it this way. He says, in the suburbs, even the most faithful Christians are tempted to live as if God does not exist. Even the most faithful. We live in such abundance that we get easily wooed into a practical atheism, as he would put it. He goes on to say that many Christians across the world, of course, have a much more heightened sense of their need for God, particularly in places that aren't in abundance like we are, places with deep hunger, basic needs can't be met, or persecution or hardship because of their religion. Those places you find Christians with much, a much more heightened sense of their need for God on a daily basis. But for the suburbs, the threat, so to speak, is much more subtle. Materialism, secularism. And the temptation to live as if God is not even around. I mean, why do we need God if we've solved it all right here for ourselves? We live in an abundant world. In other words, the very things we've been talking about in this sermon series the past couple of weeks, the, the problems we've lifted up from the suburbs, the the empty promise of the luxurious life that's not quite as luxurious as it seems to be, the, the heavy amount of commuting that has happened as a result of our spread out nature, the struggle we have with the increase in our desire to consume as a result of all, that those very things are the things that have helped make our society the way it is today. If you want to know what kind of world those things create, just walk right out the front door and take a look. We brand everything. It should come as no surprise to us, actually, that we wind up with two presidential candidates that are so clearly products of the institutions that they've spent their lives in so much so that that's their brand. We can't eat, we don't even know who they are. We think we do, but we really don't. Should surprise us, shouldn't surprise us at all. This is what living in a land of abundance does. It causes us to focus so much of our attention on what we expect all our things to provide for us. We get so focused on acquiring and, and expecting on what the things we get out here will do for us that we in fact become blind and even dismissive on what's happening in here. Become so focused on what these things do out here lose sight of our need for God here. Our stuff has pulled our attention away from the God of the heart. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, they were not in an altogether different place. They were in a fairly similar place as we are. Different topic, but similar dynamic. 
they, they, they were all about the pursuit of knowledge. We're about the pursuit of things. They're about the pursuit of knowledge. They were Gnostic. Much of the culture there was Gnostic, which is, basically means gaining knowledge, and knowledge is the key. The more knowledge you attain and acquire, the more perfect you become. It's almost like a ladder of, of knowledge, which is why Paul talks about those who are mature. He's speaking to the Corinthians' understanding of what being mature means, those who have attained a knowledge of a certain amount of knowledge and a kind of knowledge. He's kind of using that phrase to turn it around on them. He's, he's pointing at this focus on what you acquire out here as some kind of state of perfection. And he's saying in the first lines of the verses we just read, he says, he starts right off the bat at acknowledging what that dynamic is. He says, I don't come to you with lofty words of wisdom and knowledge, I come only with Christ, nothing more, nothing less. And then he, he goes on from there to equate Christ and the cross with the hidden mystery of God. What he's getting at is he is saying, when you focus on out here, only on what you acquire out here, you miss what God is doing in here. And he says, he goes further, he says, the rulers of this age and all their human wisdom out here missed what God was doing in here. If they'd have caught it, they would never have crucified Jesus. If they'd have caught it. They, didn't, they missed it. And he's passing that along to the Corinthians. He's passing that on to us. You focus so much on your expectations of what you accomplish and acquire out here to provide for you, you miss what God might be doing in here. For them, it was knowledge. For us, it's our stuff. We can keep building new housing development after housing development after housing development, and we can make them picturesque and make it look like it's promising all kinds of wonderful living and name them these spiritually soothing names like Misty Glen and Rolling Meadows and Quail Run even though no quails run in quail run. We can do it to our heart's content. We can make loop after loop around the city, shopping center after shopping center. We can go far out as we want to go. But it's never going to fill the emptiness in here. Ever. The more we acquire the more we focus our expectations on what our acquisitions can do for us, the more we do that in our eternal pursuit of wholeness, the more we expect perfection from what we get out here and we become blind to what we need in here and to the God who can provide it. In his book, A Hidden Wholeness, Parker Palmer suggests this. Parker Palmer is a wonderfully rich spiritual writer, by the way. Get any of his books. He hadn't written a lot. He, it's very deep writing. In that book, he suggests that wholeness is not about perfection. 
Instead, he says, wholeness is about the ability to embrace brokenness as an integral part of life. The ability to embrace brokenness as an integral part of life. Not to accept brokenness, but to embrace it as an integral part of life. Could it be that he's onto something there? Could he be right about that? Could it possibly be that the very things we've been lifting up each week in this series on the suburbs, the very things we've been griping about as the problems that the suburbs have created for us, our, our ongoing attachment to empty promises, our, the growth in our commuter mentality, and we're going further and further away for the same things in our struggle with what we consume and how much we consume, that those very things are exactly what God is calling us to embrace as part of life? Could it possibly be that the very thing we've been griping about are the things God is using to teach us and to shape us? If so, and when you find yourself in a long commute where you're about to pull your hair out, perhaps you should stop and think and look at it as some way God is trying to say something to you. That God might actually be using that every day to speak to you. What if instead of griping about that, God is calling you to a time of prayer for everyone around you on the freeway? What if when you find yourself in conflict over this huge amount of consumption in our lives, that instead of just griping about the problem, you, you think of it as a time in which you open yourself up to what God might be leading you to, to a different way, to something other that when this stretched out suburban world that we've created puts you at the end of the end of your rope, you see that not as the end of all things, but instead as a tool that God is using to get you to pay attention. After all, isn't it when we get to the end of our rope that we finally put down all our expectations of the things we have out here, of ourselves, of others, of stuff we've acquired? And this, isn't that when we put all that stuff down and finally open ourselves to something different entirely? It's only when we are at the end of our rope that we, in fact, might become open to the hidden mystery of God that Paul talks about in Corinthians the God of the heart. I think that's what he's getting at when he says God has revealed all these things to us. The Holy Spirit searches everything. To put down our expectations of everything we acquire as the solution to all our problems and to come open to the God who often operates in here. Next week, our guest speaker is Mark Iaconelli. 
I hear he's a wonderfully gifted speaker. I've not heard him. I've read some of his stuff. He's a wonderfully gifted writer. And if he speaks the way he writes, then we're in for a treat. He wrote an article in Christian Century Magazine a couple of months ago. And he in it, he told a story about his own life years ago. And he said, I was in a church, about a, a, little, a mid-sized church, about 250 members. And they, that church is right across the street from a university of about 5,000 students. And I was in church and I read the newsletter or the program and it said, in just, just like this, it said, we are looking for someone to direct a new prayer service for college students. Well, that caught me right away. That's my gig. That's my deal. I can, I'm all about that. And I couldn't wait to talk to the pastor. I went and talked to the pastor and I said, that's my deal. I, you want me to do this. I hope you will let me do this. I feel called to do this. This seems right. This seems... And the pastor talked about how they just received a grant to try something new with the college students across the street and all of that. And he, they said, sure, go for it. And they handed it over to me. And I couldn't wait. I, I mean, I got after it. I got all kinds of candles. And, and I went out and found and bought all kinds of different size, shaped and river stones, you know. I mean, we're getting spiritual here, you know, big stuff. And I go out and I do all that. I get musicians together and we train and we practice and we learn different reflective styles of music specifically for a prayer service that might help students de-stress from the great big world they face out there. Oh, I was getting more excited the more I talked, thought about it. I went to college. I went to the campus. I ate lunch every day for weeks, met students, talked to student groups about this service coming up. I talked with the college chaplain. I met with faculty. I put flyer, flyers up all over on trees, on doors, on people's foreheads. I mean, I went everywhere all the time. I got people in the church, a couple of, of the elderly members that had time to do it to give a dinner every week for the students. And I made sure I put that every single place. I had a flyer or a speech. I made a new logo. I made a, I came up with a religiously ambiguous name. I called it Thirst. It was going to be great. Come to Thirst, serve it, right? And, oh, I couldn't wait. The night before, I couldn't sleep. I had visions of all kinds of students coming. Three hours before the service began, I went down and I, to help make sure everything was just right. And about the time, oh, and I, I went into the chapel, he says, and I prayed earnestly, deeply. I asked God to bless this service. And then about the time the students, as I knew would start arriving, I grabbed my bulletins and I went out to the front door and opened them wide and there's the campus right across the street. Students coming down and up the street, a group came across the street and, and hit the sidewalk and I looked at them and I was all eager and they looked at me and, and they smiled and they waved and they kept going. came time for the service to start, I walked back in, and there were the three musicians I had hired, the three nice ladies who were going to provide dinner, the pastor, and me. Not one student came. Not one. We kept at it, though. For nine months, we worked at this. And it grew to about 30 people, all over the age of 60. 
After nine months, I went to the pastor and I said, at the end of this season, I'm going to call it quits. Didn't work. I felt like a failure. Soon after that, I got a call from one of the musicians, a pianist who I'd hired to play for the service. She came in and she said, I want to talk to you. She came in and she told me her story. She told me that for the past year, her life had been, there had been domestic abuse and sadness and abandonment and grief and sorrow and confusion. I don't know anything about religion, she said. I don't know anything about God. But I heard you were going to end the prayer service and I just wanted to tell you. I wanted to thank you. This is the only thing in the past nine months I've been able to look forward to every single week. I want to become a Christian, she said, and I don't even know what that means. Iaconelli would be the first one to admit that he'd become caught up in all his expectations of what all this stuff out here was supposed to do lost sight of what God was actually doing in here, not in his own heart, not just in his own heart, but in the hearts of the people that God placed right in front of him. He closes that story with a wonderful statement. He says, the Christian life is one that teaches us to let go of our expectations, expectations of ourselves, of God, of others, and instead start to learn to be empty, open, helpless, and uncertain so that we might experience God's hidden, humble work. I've preached this entire sermon series so that I could give you this last statement. It's taken that long for us to hear this so that we won't hear it wrong and we'll hear it with the intent that it's given. The statement is this. May the expectations of perfection that you place on all your stuff out here turn up empty. Yes, empty. And force you become more attentive to what God is doing in here. The God who in Jesus Christ fills your heart to overflowing. Amen.